Well, uh, we are starting our new series called Faithful, and uh, the tagline there is Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty. And the hope, really, over these next uh, few weeks together is that we're going to look at some things, some markers that have been present. If you are a follower of Jesus now, you'll look at some markers that have been present and that we continue um, to hopefully grow as our faith and trust in Jesus grows. And if you uh, are coming to this space and maybe you've disconnected from church for a while or you're still trying to figure out how to reconnect with God or connect with God for the first time, then what we're going to actually look at over these next few weeks are the ways, it seems, that God uses to grow our faith. And there's a few things which we can look at and that we can go, okay, I can see how um, faith in God can grow through this, that or the other. And hopefully if you've not been in church for a while, it'll just be a great space to reconnect again uh, with God and, uh, and hopefully it'll help fuel your faith for the coming months and, uh, and years ahead. So to get us off, let me just pray. Father God, thanks so much for this time together. I pray that as we look at this um, message today together, that you'll just allow us to be able to connect with you. Allow us to hear from you. Anything that's from you, God, just let us take it into our hearts and use. And anything that we're meant to let go of, just let us let go of that. So, in your name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Have you ever encountered someone with big faith? Has anyone, like, have you come across people in your lives who you look at them and you go, man, their faith is just really, really impressive. And in fact, when you talk to them, you see them and maybe you see them in a church context or in a work context or maybe they're a family member and you look at them and you go, wow, they really seem to have this strong trust that God is real, that Jesus is with them and that they have a um, strong relationship with God. And you look at these people that have this big faith and as you unpack their story or maybe as you witness some of their story, you think to yourself, they really shouldn't have that big of a faith. I mean, considering what the church, that particular church did to them or Considering the cards perhaps they were dealt, or maybe think about the family that they grew up in, or the experiences in life that they've had, you think to yourself, how is it that that person who has gone through all of that still seems to have this unwavering doubt that God is not only real, but God is with them? You come across these people every now and then, don't you? And you look at them and you go, how? How is it that your faith is so large, yet the circumstances and the life that has been dealt to you it just doesn't seem to make any sense. It doesn't seem to match up. And the reason that it doesn't match up to us when we look at their life and we look at the faith that they have, the reason it doesn't match up to you and me is because there's something that we don't know. In life, if someone ever does something and you think to yourself, why did they do that? For the, bad, for the good or the bad? The reason that they did that was because there's something that we just don't know. But I guarantee that if you sit down with someone who exhibits a big faith in Jesus, a big faith in God, and you sit down with them and you chat to them and say, Let, just tell me your story. I guarantee that if you sit down with them and listen to what they say, you'll see some markers along the way that explains the reason they have the faith that they do. And if you're a Jesus follower here today, I'm going to make an assumption. If we sat down and we exchanged stories as to why you have the faith that you do, the reason that you follow Jesus, as we start to listen and learn from one another, I'm sure there's going to be some markers in your story as well that explain why you have the faith that you do. There's going to be common themes. If we were to put some language around it, which is what we're going to do today, then we can actually leverage it to be able to help us in, in, in continue to grow in our faith. The church did this many years ago. Um, they actually came up with some categories, and we're going to look at that today, um, as to why people have faith and the things that build and fuel their faith. But before we get to that, a simple question. 
why does faith even matter? Why does faith even matter? Why, why, why do we need to have faith at all? Let's take one story or one example as to why I think faith is very important. Um, hands up, please participate if you're able to. Who's been on a plane? Yeah? Right? Remember those things? They fly in the air. They got shut down for a while. Um, so airplanes. Now, when you flew, just out of curiosity, when you went to go and fly on your particular plane, did you go and you thought to yourself, all right, I'm about to go flying. Okay, I need to go and research aerodynamics. I need to go and research plane 101. I need to go and figure out the safety mechanisms. I need to... I'm going on this plane, and if I don't know everything that there is to know about this plane, there's no matter, no way I'm going to get on that plane unless everything is in order. Or perhaps you just went when your ticket said you should go, handed your luggage in, sat down, politely waited, waited to get called, went onto the plane, sat down, delay again, um, and then eventually the plane takes off and takes you to where you need to be. That's most of us, right? We have enough trust that planes will do what planes are meant to do. That we can rock up and we can just fly on a plane. The reason that having faith and trust matters is because if we can't trust things to do what they need to do, then stuff starts to break down, doesn't it? In fact, faith is just simply another way. So if we want to reword faith for a second and put some language around it, faith is simply trust that something or someone is going to do what that something or someone is supposed to do. So when we say that we are people of faith, as Christians, what we're saying is that we trust that God has done what he said he has done and that he is with us. And if you're someone who says, well, I'm not a person of faith, you are a person of faith. It may not be in God or a higher power, but you believe that many things around you should work the way they do, and you've grown up and you've learned to have faith that things will operate the way they're meant to operate because faith is simply trust that something or someone is going to do what that something or someone is meant to do. So faith matters because if we don't have that trust, things start to break down. Now we saw a video before about a man who understood what faith is all about, Lewis Centurion. Now I'm sure in real life he wasn't as cute and hello and all that sort of stuff. But um, in 2,000 years ago, we have a story, um, a man who interacted with Jesus that teaches us this principle in action. So here we have a, um, some writings from a, a guy called Matthew. Matthew records the life of Jesus. If you've got a Bible for you, have got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels, we call them, are just the four books that tell us the most about Jesus' life. And in that, a man named Matthew records this really great interaction that Jesus has with this centurion. So let's have a look at that together. So when Jesus entered Capernaum, so Jesus is traveling around, a centurion came to him, asking him for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? So he asked the question, well, do you want me to come and heal him? So a bit of context. Who is the centurion? The centurion was someone who was in charge of the occupiers of Jesus' land. So he was a Roman. He was someone who was in charge of making sure that the Jewish people stayed um, doing what they were meant to do under Roman authority and rule. And this centurion basically from the view of Jesus and Jesus' people, was a police person but was not on their side. Um, so the centurion was making sure people stay where they're meant to stay and do what they're meant to do, but he was looking after Roman interest. And the Romans' interest in this particular time was to make sure that peace was kept so that they could stay in control, they could control the land and move things throughout it. And the centurion was doing his job. And the centurion comes up to Jesus, which is interesting, because in terms of the power dynamic, which way do you think it goes? 
Do you think it goes Jesus to the centurion? No. The centurion to Jesus. If the centurion came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you to do A, B, C, then Jesus better do A, B, and C. But the centurion comes up and he asks Jesus a really humbling question. He says, hey, can you please come and heal my servant? Can you please come and heal someone who is sick? And the reason the centurion comes up and goes to Jesus is because Jesus at this point has a reputation. Jesus has been born, he's grown up, and he started doing his public ministry, his public way of living to show people that God is real. And part of that was he was healing people. And you can imagine that got a lot of attention. So the centurion knew that, hey, my servant is sick, he needs to get better, I'm going to go and grab Jesus. So he goes to Jesus and says, please, will you heal my servant? And Jesus' response, like, well, shall I come and heal him? It's a little funny because, I mean, if the centurion said, you will come and heal him, then he would have to. But the centurion came up and asked him, and Jesus, well, do you want me to come and heal him? Now, what you would expect would be a fairly standard response from the centurion would be at this point, well, yes, can you please come and heal my servant? That's what I'm asking for, Jesus. But that's not exactly what happens. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. It's interesting. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. And that's very interesting. So the centurion's there. He's come to Jesus for help. Jesus says, well, do you want me to come and heal him? Because it's sort of my deal at the moment. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to have you come into my place. But if you say the word, if you say the word, then he will be healed. Now, why would the centurion have faith that that is the case? Well, the centurion explains. For I myself am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. If I tell this soldier to go, and he goes, and that one to come, come. And if I say to my servant, do this, he does it. So the centurion says, well, I know what it's like to have authority. Because if I say things, people will do things. It must be really nice. Um, you know, it would be really great in parenting world to have that power, wouldn't it? You go in and you try to say something to your kid, but they don't always do it. Or in co-worker world, like you know better than your co-worker in this particular instance, and if you just wish they'd listen to you, but they don't listen to you. Or maybe it's your parents now. Some of you guys deal with parents, and you're just like, just get with the program, mum and dad. Um, <laughs> don't know what it is for you. But the centurion goes, look, I get it, Jesus. I know what authority is all about. I have authority. If I speak, people have to listen. And then here's the interest. This is just mind-blowing to me. Very interesting, very mind-blowing. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus was amazed. So Jesus is going around. He's healing people. The centurion, this Roman ruler, comes along and says, hey, come and heal my servant. Jesus says, yep, I can come and heal him. He says, no, no, you stay there. You just say the words. I know he's going to be healed because I recognize you have authority. I recognize that if you say it will be done, I trust that you say that it will be done. I have faith in you that your words have impact. And then Jesus' response to this is amazement. There's only two things that generally amazes Jesus um, when it comes to looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is normally amazed at big faith like this, and he's also amazed when people have little faith, when they should have more. So Jesus was amazed, and he said something which would have been very, would have been very, very offensive. He says, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such a great could you imagine all the Jewish little boys and girls, all the religious people doing their best to live in faith 
in Yahweh, in God, in their understanding of who God was and what God wanted them to do. And then Jesus rocks up, healing people, creating a stir, and he has the audacity to say, there is no one in all of Israel who has such, a great, has such great faith as a Roman centurion. Ooh. I can imagine like all the, you know, the scholars and the priests and the people were like, come on, <laughs> what is this? Jesus looked at this Roman, he looked at this centurion, he looked at this person who had authority over him and he went, you have great faith. Because he trusted that if Jesus said it would be done, it would be done. His faith was built in the fact that he trusted that Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus was amazed because the centurion trusted what Jesus had to say. I can imagine Jesus is walking, healing people, and people of the religious authority and good Jewish boys and girls are coming up to Jesus constantly trying to figure out, are you who you say you are? And in fact, for many of us, um, part of our life story and the narrative and the arc of our lives is trying to figure out, is God who he says he is? And all these people are trying to figure out with Jesus, they're combating him, they're trying to poke and prod and find fault with him and trying to figure out, is Jesus the one who we really need to be following? Is Jesus actually representing God properly? And all these people are going about, going about. And Jesus is looking at this centurion man and saying, look at this guy. He didn't come, poke, prod and whatever. He just said, I understand authority and how it works. You have authority. I trust if you say it will happen, it will happen. And Jesus was just blown away by that faith saying, that's amazing. That's incredible. You heard the words I had to say and you trusted that it would be so. And the servant was healed. Jesus was proven trustworthy. And the centurion had faith and trust that Jesus was who he said he was. Because wherever your trust goes, that goes your faith. When you say that you're having faith issues or faith crises or you're trying to figure out who you are or who God is to you, what you're actually saying is, I don't quite trust God in the current way that I understand him. I don't quite trust the way that I should people express having faith, they're saying we trust someone or something. When people have trouble with faith, we're saying we just don't quite trust. And there's a reason, there's an experience, there's something that's happened to us, or there's something that shifts the way we view things, and we start to go, I'm not quite sure it's as solid as I thought. Or maybe something happens and it builds up your faith and go, I trust more because. I said earlier um, that this other church came up with some categories for how people have big faith and um, basically, this church went around and listened to a bunch of people's stories, and they took all this data in, and they started to realize, hang on a second, um, when we line up all of these stories of people who weren't following Jesus, chose to follow Jesus, and what built up into their following of Jesus, they started to see some common themes. And they call it the five um, things God uses to grow your faith, and um, here they are up here. And if you, as someone who followed Jesus, you might have seen this in action in your life before. They went through all these stories, and they saw that these five things were in common. People who had big faith in their lives, people who had trust that Jesus was who he said he um, was and did what he said he did, generally had, uh, had things happen, experiences happen that fell into these five categories. Practical teaching, personal service, private disciplines, 
providential relationships and pivotal circumstances. Now we're going to unpack them over the next three weeks, but let me just give you a quick drive-by of each one. So to summarize, practical teaching. At some point in the lives of those who followed Jesus, someone opened up the Bible to them. Someone opened up God in a way that they suddenly went, I get it. I understand now. Like I listened to that person up the front talk a lot, but then this person came along and they said, hey, let me show you a story. Or hey, have you looked at this before? And you start to go, wow, I actually understand not only some stuff about God, but actually how to put it into action. It was practical teaching. It wasn't just something to feed the brain, feed the brain, feed the brain. I actually started to go, wow, because of God's love, because of how he's revealed himself, I'm actually going to start to see myself change into being a person who follows Jesus, who starts to reflect the love of Jesus. That's practical teaching. Personal service. Um, You found a way that you connect with God in the way that he made you, in the way he's gifted you, and you got to use it for the benefit of other people. You found ways to serve, to love, to be able to use the way you've been designed to be able to show other people um, the love that God wants to show them through us. Some of you, if you're not doing something, because it's the way you're wired, it's just the way you're wired, it's great. Um, it's not me, my wife's like this. But if you're not doing something, you're just sort of like, well, what's the point of life? I need to be doing, I need to be serving, I need to be action orientated. You guys are awesome. Without you, things don't get done. Um, you just got to keep moving, keep going. So you get to do something, you get to serve in life. I see a couple of elbow nudges there. Um, and you actually see that what you did impacts someone else. Because of the fact you served, because you used your gift, your ability, your skill, you actually saw someone else's life get better. And how chuffed do you feel? How good do you feel? How much does your faith grow when something your hands did affects the life of somebody else and they grow in their faith? You just feel like, wow, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, they wouldn't have got to experience God in that way. The other thing is private disciplines. You start to pray. You start to give. You start to read the Bible. You start to spend time alone with God. You start to... Spend time trying to understand how can I align my life to the life with Jesus at the center. Because how you live before you follow Jesus has one way of operating. Me at the center, let me live. When you start to go, actually, I'm going to follow Jesus, Jesus very quickly comes into the center of your life. And you have to start rearranging things. Um, and part of that is you've got to start to add some discipline, some ways of living that build into your faith. So for some of you, you found that because you started to pray, you started to see your faith grow. Because you started to um, spend time reading the Bible, you started to feel that God was communicating with you. Because you started to give and live generously, you started to see people around you live better and you started to see God move in your particular situation. Private disciplines. Providential relationships. Someone comes into your life. Maybe it's a short season, maybe it's a long season. They come into your life and suddenly your faith grows. Have you ever had that friend that just drops in And because of the way that they are, it like builds up your faith. It's almost like the way that your relationship works and the interaction between it is just something about the way you talk, what you talk about. And these people come into your lives and you you get this, this energy flowing and you start to realize, wow, my faith is actually being built up because I'm in relationship with this person. Sometimes it's just for a short season. Sometimes they're ongoing friendships for a lifetime. But providential relationships, God just needs to plop someone in and it redirects our path. From going this way to going this way. And the final one is pivotal circumstances. Things happen in our life that change us. All of us have experienced pain to some level. 
All of us have experienced circumstances which make us question, who is God, who are we, what are we meant to do with this situation that we found ourselves in? What happens in pivotal circumstances is not that circumstances are different generally from person to person. We all experience a level at which we go, this circumstance is hard. What actually determines whether we walk out of a pivotal circumstance with faith, more faith or less faith, is our perspective. The people we were surrounded by. The voices that we were listening to. Someone can go into parts of the world and see how others live, and it can completely destroy their faith in God. It can completely destroy their faith in humanity. How can a loving God, how can loving people expect others to live in that way? Yet someone else can go into that same scenario and go, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I live better? How can I pray more? How can I help be part of the solution, not just someone who ignores it? When pivotal circumstances happen, it's the voices around us. It's our interpretation of the event that determines whether it's going to grow our faith or it's going to hurt our faith. Because when we go through things, when we see things, when we experience things, either our trust in God grows or our trust in God diminishes. And those people with big faith have had those five areas, practical teaching, personal service, private disciplines, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances, they've seen in one or more of those areas their trust in God increase. The reason that that person has a large faith despite what they've been through is because they connect with God through their private disciplines. The reason their faith is so large, even though you look at them and say, but you've been through what I've been through and it was not that great is because they have a providential relationship, a friend, a family member who supports them and loves them and builds them up. The reason that they have such a big faith is because they have someone alongside them or they listen to someone who opens up the Bible or opens up God and, and who he is in a way that they understand and they can connect with. The reason they have big faith is because they've just gone, my hands love other people and I'm able to serve, I'm able to find the way I fit and I can see God work through me. When you and I experience growth in any of these five areas, our trust in God grows. So the people with big swing for the fences, audacious, courageous faith in Jesus, the reason it's there is because their trust has grown through those things. So I want you to think for a second in your own story. If you're someone of faith, if you're someone who says, I follow Jesus, I've had my life transformed by him, whether that was 10 minutes ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, um, I want you to think through your story. Hey, can you see those things at play in your own personal story? Think back. Was there a time in your life where someone opened up the Bible and you just went, wow, it makes sense? Was there a time in your life where you started to serve and you started to see God work through you, through what you did, and you thought, wow, that was amazing? Was there a time in your life where you really lent into some disciplines or a time when you started to establish the ones that are necessary to carry your faith for the long haul? Was there a time or multiple times in your faith journey where you've seen providential relationships pop up. Maybe you've been at a time where you need someone and God delivers someone to come and speak faith and courage into you. Or maybe, think back through your story, was there a pivotal circumstance that because of your context, you were able to interpret well? When I think back um, over my life and I think through those things, I could tick a box next to each one of them. I remember when someone came along and opened up the Bible and I started to go, wow, God loves me. God 
made a way for me and I'm called to more than living with me at the centre. I remember being able to serve um, at youth group, which was my first major serving context, and I got to go and set up nights, and I got to see young people come and form relationships and be loved and cared for, especially where some of those kids were coming from. I looked at them and went, wow, you just need a space where you are loved and known, because you don't have that safety at home. You don't have that safety somewhere else. I remember when private disciplines, you go through ups and downs. Me, I love to go from one thing to the other, so... My disciplines, I seem to be have one discipline at a time and keep changing them over the long haul. So, uh, yeah, that one's been up and down all around. Providential relationships, I put a big tick next to that one. A few times in my life where I've just felt, God's just provided a phone call. God's provided a reconnect and I've gone, wow, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been bolstered up. I wouldn't have had more faith put back into me. And pivotal circumstances. There's been times in my life where I've come out the other side and I've experienced the same thing as other people, and yet I come out going, isn't God with me and isn't he good? And I look at some people who went through it with me and they come out the other side saying, God sucks. And both are, considering the circumstances, fair responses. But I managed to come out the other side because I had different people around me. I had a different framework for seeing things. I had a different way of understanding who God was. When you and I embrace the five things God uses to grow our faith, it's when we start to see our life reflect that of Jesus more and more. And we bear more and more of that fruit. So I'm going to finish off there. um, And just finish off with this last little, hopefully, something helpful for you today. If you feel stuck, like your faith has hit a bit of a moment, um, a couple of things which I think might be helpful. So if you listen to the story of the centurion, And you go to yourself, man, I remember once upon a time, if Jesus said something and I heard the Holy Spirit nudge me on the shoulder or a friend came up and said something to me, and I went, wow. Like back in the day, maybe you had a moment where you'd be like, my faith was strong enough that whatever God told me, I just believed it, it was true, it was real, I was going to follow that. If you look at the story of the centurion and go, I used to have centurion level faith. And you think to where you are now and you go, ah, not right now though. Or maybe you're in a season where God has done something amazing in your life and you go, God could tell me to walk on water right now and I'm running across that thing. Wherever you, wherever you come from, I just, want, I just want to give a, a couple of things I think are helpful. If you're someone who goes, I've lost that, then you need to find a way to redevelop that. There's a, there's a, there's a saying um, that Jesus has where he says, um, you know, he tells a parable and he says um, this thing that Um, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And a lot of people go, hmm, now that I believe in Jesus, I want to get to the end of my life and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And for some reason, something happens in our brain and we think to ourselves, I've just got to endure church. I've got to endure God. I've got to endure these relationships. And you think to yourself, if I can just get through this, I'm going to get to the end of the race and God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And what happens over time is that you start off meeting Jesus and your passion is, and you go, isn't God amazing? And over time, you get to this point here, and um, it's really sad when this happens. It sucks when this happens. And it goes low, and then someone else meets God, and they're really high, and they interact together. And the new person goes, isn't God amazing? He changes your life. He takes your addictions. He removes them. God is on the move, and I cannot believe how amazing God is. And the person who's gone down here says, don't worry. I was passionate once. I remember. You look at you, young dreamer. You'll get down here with the rest of us. 
If you find yourself on that trajectory, if the God who blew your mind, the God who changed your world back here, isn't larger now than he was back then, then I want to ask you to seriously look at these five things and go, where can I start to invest? God did not design you to have a bland relationship with him. God did not design you to endure a relationship with him. God did not design you to endure church. God did not design you to endure this life. He's actually designed it in a way that he wants to show you that he loves you and that you can have really healthy, fruitful relationships with him and with other people. And if the God who changed your life back here is now smaller and in a box over here, something's wrong. Something's wrong. That's not how it's meant to be. The Christian journey isn't, isn't God amazing, oh, Sunday again. That's not life. It's life. It's a sad life. That's not the life he designed for you. And when that happens, when you transition into that, when life beats you down, when the kids beat you down, when the disappointments beat you down, when you get passed over at work again, when your family members don't take you seriously, life happens, things get heavy, and it weighs us down. In those moments, we can start to feel our trust in Jesus go down, and we start to feel the passion get lost. It's in those moments we actually need God and that passion more, not less. So if that's you, if you found yourself and you go, this is the big one, you know you're in this season when you, when I, if I said to you, what's God doing in your life? And you go, I remember when, cool. Let's see if we can remember now. Let's see if something, God can do something in your life now. God didn't save you back then for a bland life. He saved you for a rich life with him. To experience love with him, with other people. I'm not saying you're meant to have an easy life. I'm saying it's meant to be involved with him. It's meant to be ups and downs with him. It's meant to be richer with him. And if you're someone right now and you just started walking into who God is and you're starting to see him work in your life, that's awesome. Share that. If God is doing something in your life right now, if the Holy Spirit's moving in your life right now and you're starting to see addictions break away, if you're starting to see your faith in God grow, find someone, find people to share that with. Don't let it dwindle down. And if anyone ever says to you or has a look in their face which says, oh, don't worry, it'll go down, oh, run away. Yeah, who said run? That's helpful. Get away from that. Over life, you should become more disciplined. Over life, you should be able to understand God in different ways and whatever, but we shouldn't lose that passion for him. He loves you. Jesus made you. He designed you. He loves you. His grace covers everything you've ever done. And he wants to have a relationship with you here and now. And he wants, to be he wants it to be thriving. So if you're someone who, sorry, can you go back to the five Ps again, Cam? If you're someone and you're feeling a little, oof, what's happening here, do you need to go and find some space of practical teaching? It's great. I, I podcast stuff all the time, Audible, YouTube, all great stuff. Um, personal service, do you need to get back involved in helping other people again? And serving again? Private disciplines. Maybe the reason your passion's a little bit low is because you probably haven't talked to God for a while. Maybe have a chat to God. Uh, providential relationships. Maybe you need to be praying that God will bring someone into your life to build you up over this current season. Or maybe as you go through a pivotal circumstance, if you're in one right now, if you're in a relationship breakdown right now, if you're losing a loved one right now, how can you surround yourself with the support you need to come out the other side with a stronger faith in God, not a weak one? <coughs> My hope is that everyone leaves this life hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant, not because you endured, 
but because you actually thrived in your relationship with God and with others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. You didn't have to send Jesus, Lord. You didn't have to reach out to us. You could have just wiped everything and started again. But you allow us now to find relationship with you, relationship with other people, and you get to guide that whole process. And we thank you for that, Jesus. Right now, Lord, for anyone in the room who's feeling like their faith's a little flat, I pray that you will just reignite them. You will give them reason to see that you are alive and active this week. For those, Lord, who are just finding you, who are, who are just amazed at all you can do, have that centurion faith that just trust that if you say it, it will be done. I pray, Lord, that you will surround them with love and an opportunity to grow in that faith, to be able to share that joy about what you are doing in their life. And for those who don't know you yet, I just think about the 26,000 people within our local area, within the city of Kalamunda, that on the census last time put, they have no faith belief system. Lord God, I pray that this city, Perth, but also within the city of Kalamunda, will experience passionate followers of you. They'll see that life with you is worth living. They'll see that you make life better and you make us better at life. Help us to be people who show your love as we're part of your plan to bring people into a loving relationship with you. In your name and for your glory. Amen.